session and then begun to talk with an eerie calmness about how Hemingway had committed suicide. And on the way out, his arm casually around the pre-suicidal man's shoulders, Andy had given him a push. Now, bitterly, he hoped it had been worth it, because it looked very much as if he and Charlie were going to be the ones to pay. He almost hoped an echo, but no, he pushed that away, horrified and disgusted with himself. That was nothing to wish on anybody. One little tickle, he prayed. That's all. God, just one little tickle. Enough to get me and Charlie out of this jam. And oh, God, how you'll pay. Plus the fact that you'll be dead for a month afterward, just like a radio with a blown tube. Maybe six weeks, or maybe really dead with your worthless brains leaking out your ears. What would happen to Charlie then? They were coming up on 70th Street, and the light was against them. Traffic was pouring across, and pedestrians were building up at the corner in a bottleneck. And suddenly he knew this was where the men in the green car would take them. Alive if they could, of course, but if it looked like trouble, well, they had probably been briefed on Charlie, too. Maybe they don't even want us alive anymore. Maybe they've decided just to maintain the status quo. What do you do with a faulty equation? Erase it from the board. A knife in the back. A silenced pistol. Quite possibly something more arcane a drop of rare poison on the end of a needle. Convulsions at the corner of 3rd and 70th, officer. This man appears to have suffered a heart attack. He would have to try for that tickle. There was just nothing else. They reached the waiting pedestrians at the corner. Across the way, don't walk held steady and seemingly eternal. He looked back. The green car had stopped. The curbside doors opened and two men in business suits got out. They were young and smooth-cheeked. They looked considerably fresher than Andy McGee felt. He began elbowing his way through the clog of pedestrians, eyes searching frantically for a vacant cab. Hey, man, for Christ's sake, fella. Please, mister, you're stepping on my dog. Excuse me, excuse me, Andy said desperately. He searched for a cab. There were none. At any other time, the street would have been stuffed with them. He could feel the men from the green car coming for them, wanting to lay hands on him and Charlie to take them with them God knew where, the shop, some damn place, or do something even worse. Charlie laid her head on his shoulder and yawned. Andy saw a vacant cab. Taxi, taxi, he yelled, flagging madly with his free hand. Behind him, the two men dropped all pretense and ran. The taxi pulled over. Hold it, one of the men yelled. Police, police. A woman near the back of the crowd at the corner screamed, and then they all began to scatter. Andy opened the cab's back door and handed Charlie in. He dived in after her. LaGuardia, step on it, he said. Hold it, cabby, police. The cab driver turned his head toward the voice and Andy pushed very gently. A dagger of pain was planted squarely in the center of Andy's forehead and then quickly withdrawn, leaving a vague locus of pain, like a morning headache, the kind you get from sleeping on your neck. They're after that black guy in the checkered cap, I think, he said to the cabby. Right the driver said, and pulled serenely away from the curb. They moved down East 70th. Andy looked back. The two men were standing alone at the curb. The rest of the pedestrians wanted nothing to do with them. One of the men took a walkie-talkie from his belt and began to speak into it. Then they were gone. The black guy, the driver said. What'd he do? Rob a liquor store or something, you think? I don't know, Andy said, trying to think how to go on with this, how to get the most out of this cab driver for the least push. Had they got the cab's plate number? He would have to assume they had, but they wouldn't want to go to the city or state cops, and they would be surprised and scrambling for a while at least. 
They're all a bunch of junkies, the blacks in the city, the driver said. Don't tell me, I'll tell you. Charlie was going to sleep. Andy took off his corduroy jacket, folded it, and slipped it under her head. He had begun to feel a thin hope. If he could play this right, it might work. Lady Luck had sent him what Andy thought of with no prejudice at all as a pushover. He was the sort that seemed the easiest to push right down the line. He was white. Orientals were the toughest for some reason. He was quite young, old people were nearly impossible, and of medium intelligence. Bright people were the easiest pushes, stupid ones harder, and with the mentally retarded it was impossible. I've changed my mind, Andy said. Take us to Albany, please. Where? The driver stared at him in the rearview mirror. Man, I can't take a fare to Albany. You out of your mind? Andy pulled his wallet, which contained a single dollar bill. He thanked God that this was not one of those cabs with a bulletproof partition and no way to contact.